Stand back. There's a hurricane coming through. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. But be the man. You gotta beat the man. Ooh, yeah. You got something mean, And welcome back to the Guys Nation Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, John, with my co-host as usual, Rob. How's everybody doing? The big wig over at Guys Nation. Looking after the citizens since late 2010. There you go. We are kind of in the middle of a pay-per-view cycle here. Uh, I think we've got, what, like maybe two Raws, maybe three to go before SummerSlam. Uh, This week was a little different. Kind of had like an enhancement Monday feel to it, I thought. Uh, You saw a lot of guys getting pretty much clean wins uh, with Del Rio, Christian, Ziggler, RVD, Rhodes, all kind of guys are trying to maybe, I think, push towards, uh, you know, having feuds in the mid-card here. And then, of course, the man himself, Daniel Bryan, got put into the gauntlet match. Uh, And you kind of had a feeling that this was like a show in reverse, huh? Yeah, I mean, to me, when when I see that they're going to have a contract signing, that's the end of the show. I mean, that's the way WWE always does it. And the show started out that way. I was like, okay, this is a little weird feel to it. And then what happens next? You have a former world champion taking on the world champion from the other show. Yeah. To me, that felt like, hey, this is the main event match that's going to lead up to the contract signing. And it just it just had a weird feel to it. And then, you know, the show kind of went from there. And eventually with the, with the Daniel Bryan stuff at the end of the show, it ended up feeling like, okay, the show's back on track. But, I don't know, it just yeah. kind of... And you knew as soon as, as soon as Del Rio and Sheamus come out, you know, with, like, no fanfare whatsoever, you can tell this is going to be an odd show. Uh, yeah. And then also you get the backstage moment between Cena and Brian, and so you're like, okay. So Cena's not closing the show with the contract signing, but this little back and forth where Brian tells him not to come out, pretty obvious he's going to come out at some point at the end of the show, right? Yep. He's going to wait until the, uh, the very end of the very end of the match and then show up. Because we cannot close Raw without John Cena. Yep. Uh, so what did you think of the contract signing? I thought that was uh, that was done fairly well. Uh, Brad Maddox, I, I actually kind of like him. I think he does good with his role. Um, he's, he, he's growing on me a little bit. Um, I, I felt like uh, the start of the show from the past couple weeks during the Brad Maddox era, it's, it's been entertaining. Uh, I don't feel like he did as well with the, the contract signing, but... Uh, I think in time that sort of thing will come more naturally to him. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's not the best actor ever, but I kind of like I like the character they've got with him, and he's kind of got that mousy look um, that kind of just makes you feel like he's a little bit of a weasel there. Um, but then at the same time, he's not like he's not old like Teddy Long or anything. You know, he's a guy that you could see might actually throw it down if he has to at some point. Yeah. Um, and- 
And this is this is kind of going back to uh, something that uh, probably most of our listeners either don't remember or don't want to remember, but uh, it almost reminds me of back when The Miz was the host for SmackDown. He wasn't like the general manager of SmackDown, but he was like the host, which really kind of felt weird, but uh, it's kind of like that because, yeah, I mean, it's not like Brad Maddox has any real power. Um, You know, he doesn't have any uh, uh, gravitas, I guess is the term that uh, the hipsters would use. Um, But, but yeah, I mean, he feels more like a host than a GM, and I think in time that can change, but that's that's where I'm at with him right now. Yeah, and he had a bunch of other segments later on, but uh, you know, in this in this contract signing, he had John Cena kind of selling the small champions with uh, Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero. Um, can't remember who else he mentioned, but uh, I thought that was cool. And then, and he gave he obviously gave a lot of props to Dan O'Brien. Uh, so it looks like at least so far we're getting the uh, Hulk Hogan Ultimate Warrior. You know. They both respect each other kind of treatment, you know, from the two faces. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's um, a little deeper than that, certainly, just because uh, you've got Daniel Bryan that uh, certainly feels like no one's giving him any respect. And, uh, you know, certainly, I guess Ryback sort of did that a little bit, too, with John Cena. But uh, I-, I like the way Daniel Bryan's going about it. And, and I don't feel like this would be anything even close to, uh, a, you know, a, a passing of the torch. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's been, I don't know, there aren't too many other matches that we could point to that are, you know, two guys who, you know, essentially respect each other a little bit and are, you know, the face-on-face type of showdowns. Yeah, and we're, <clears throat> it's it's been an interesting last few months because they're they're doing these mixing and matching with guys that we wouldn't have dreamed of watching fight each other before, or at least not anytime soon. Uh, you know, now they're finally having heel versus heel, face versus face. You get all the heels in the Money in the Bank match, all the faces in the other. Uh, you got Punk and Paul Heyman feuding with each other. So we're getting a lot of kind of fresh uh, angles here, I think, which is really cool. Um, and so speaking of Punk and Paul Heyman, uh, I think we wanted to jump into that. We'll talk a lot more about Daniel Bryan later, uh, obviously, as he wrestled for a good 40 minutes. But um, on SmackDown, we had uh, Paul Heyman coming out on Miz TV. And, you know, Miz, like, kind of doesn't want to talk to him, so Paul just kind of cuts a little promo on CM Punk, saying that he should walk away from the Beast Incarnate and all this jazz. Um, we don't actually see Punk show up. But then uh, on Raw on Monday night, uh, we go ahead and have uh, Punk come out to the ring with his uh, nice Wolverine chops. <laughs> and uh, Paul Heyman joins via satellite, <clears throat> which I thought was great that Punk went ahead and you know called him out for that. Uh, but really, he kind of he carried on where uh, Paul Heyman left off, saying you know he's still standing, you know he won't he won't ever stay down. He doesn't fear Brock Lesnar. Uh, what did you think about the back and forth there? How does you know how is that going to go towards building this fight? Um, I liked it. I, I think it, you know it kind of feels a little weird. Um, I know we didn't. Uh, I, I kind of derailed something last week, and uh, we didn't get into talking about it much. But uh, obviously, last week was super intense. 
um, you had that great promo from CM Punk where, you know, he really dug into Paul Heyman and kind of made it a vendetta. You know, it's this is not just CM Punk wanting to get to Brock Lesnar because that's who uh, Paul Heyman is choosing now, but it's it's really John Cena is going to get. I'm sorry, CM Punk <laughs> yeah. is going to get to Brock Lesnar, and he's. He's going to do that because he wants to get to Paul Heyman. And, you know, that whole speech last week, you know, going through your family, anyone who stands in the way, you know, he's he's not afraid of Brock Lesnar. I think all of that was super intense last week. Then you had the super intense beatdown where, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I kind, of, I kind of feared for CM Punk's safety during that just... Yeah, Lesnar always feels like he's like it's for real, you know. He doesn't seem to ever really hold back at all. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I, I thought a few times there, I was like, oh crap, he probably really hurt Punk on that one. Yeah, and, and it doesn't help that, uh, that the, the night before you saw Punk bleeding from you know the whole entire side of his head, and then they start off the show by talking about the staples, and early in the promo, you know, CM Punk was feeling the staples on the side of his head. Um, yeah. So, you know, obviously we know things are scripted and things aren't real, but you know, last week that that beatdown, I, I guess it was more of a fight, but at the end of it, it became more of a beatdown. It it certainly it felt real, and yeah, I mean there is an aspect to it that uh, Brock Lesnar seems dangerous, like legit scary. You know, this guy maybe shouldn't be, you know performing kind of dangerous, right? Yeah, and I get the feeling that, you know, in order to pump this feud up, as they're already going with that fear angle, which I thought was a great uh, <clears throat> way that Punk explained it, you know, that there's something that people, or there's something about Lesnar and his power is fear, um, which I think is right, because, you know, if you think back to when, even when he debuted, everybody was just like, who is this monster, you know? Right. Um and so I wonder if, you know, the extra aggression, even though we've seen it from Lesnar in practically every feud, but the extra aggression here against Punk, um, you know, feels like maybe that was on purpose, you know, to show that this is a guy to be feared. Um, and so, you know, it works into the storyline where he can, you know, show that, you know, I'll take your, the best you got and I'm still getting up. Right. And, and I think... I guess the way I kind of have to look at it is almost like, you know, what happened last week was part one of CM Punk standing up to Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman, and this week was kind of part two. I, If I think about it like two separate promos, they're kind of different, right? One was yeah. a, a very personal, like, I'm coming for you, I'm going to get you, I'm going to bury you. And this one is, I'm not afraid of your monster. But you really kind of have to think of it in terms of, you know, what happened to him last week and, you know, how is he reacting to that? So it's almost like a direct follow-up, not just the next promo to hype this upcoming match. So I think, you know, as I as I think about it that way, you know, with, with Paul Heyman doing his thing on SmackDown where he says was essentially saying, you know, hey, it's okay to be scared, it's okay to back down, it's okay to quit and go home. 
if you think about it from from that perspective, he's essentially telling CM Punk he should be scared. You know, it's it's okay if you you know totally back out of this because rightfully so. And then CM Punk is just following it up, saying, "I'm not scared. Everyone else has been scared, but I'm not scared." So. Yeah. Yeah, and and it goes with his anti-hero kind of. Uh, mentality, you know, he doesn't need anyone. He can stand up to this on his own. Um, yeah, and I think this is the way this feud has to go because obviously we're not going to see Lesnar um, going toe-to-toe with Punk on the mic, so it has to be Heyman, and, and Lesnar's probably not going to show up for a physical interaction. Uh, I mean, maybe on the Raw before SummerSlam, but, yeah, you know, we I might have it... seen the only altercation we're going to get out of the two of them until then. Yeah, I saw something where Lesnar is scheduled for um, two Raws between now and SummerSlam, and he's scheduled for the night after SummerSlam as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know about anything before that. I don't know about anything after that. Just those were the dates that uh, that I'd heard. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you, I, I, think, I think this is a good time to ask this question. Um, these guys have been on pretty different trajectories over the last year or so. Uh, you had Punk, obviously, with his long title reign, uh, and then he feuds with The Rock and with uh, uh, The Undertaker, um, and he really kind of, he's been on a losing streak. You know, he lost he lost his title. He didn't go over The Undertaker. Uh, he was gone, and then he comes back, and uh, he doesn't win Money in the Bank. He gets betrayed by Paul Heyman. And then you have Brock Lesnar, who, you know, he went over Triple H twice, but he got beat by John Cena and kind of a, you know, it was kind of strange that they had that happen last year at Extreme Rules. So he's he's also kind of not really gotten any sort of big push lately. Um, I mean, who do you think needs him more right now? Does Punk need it more to kind of reassert himself in the main event scene that he's someone to be reckoned with? Or does Lesnar need it more to kind of show that, you know, he is the beast and, you know, he can take out Triple H and CM Punk and, you know, he's coming for Cena next or whatever the heck it's going to be. Right. And, you know, we had uh, we had kind of talked about something that, uh, you know, previously that, that got me wondering a little bit about this. So I actually did a little bit of research and... Punk has been on a huge losing streak, and yeah, he beat Jericho at, uh, I think that was Payback, right, the pay-per-view before Money in the Bank, but other than that, he's been pretty much losing, you know, ever since uh, Royal Rumble. I mean, he, he, you know, beat The Rock, I guess you could say he beat The Rock, but then Vince restarted the match, he lost at Royal Rumble, you know, after Vince restarted the match. He lost again to The Rock That's right. Um, at uh, Elimination Chamber. He lost at WrestleMania. He comes back. Yeah, okay, he wins at Payback, whatever. Everybody beats Jericho. Then, yeah, okay, he, he got cheated at uh, Money in the Bank. So he is on a really, really big losing streak. I really like CM Punk. I think he is more a part of the future of WWE than a lot of the other guys that they've talked about. Even but, though even though he's expressed how he might want to retire early enough so that he doesn't have health issues, you still see him sticking around a long time? Um, 
I guess in the, the immediate future, like the next five years, I think he'll mean a right. bit more, more pay-per-views in the next five years than anybody other than John Cena. Um, but that said, I would absolutely give the win to Brock Lesnar at, at this pay-per-view. And why is that? Well, they invested a lot of money in Brock Lesnar. There's a reason why he's limited in the number of shows that he's going to appear at. He's a huge name. He transcends wrestling. You know, John, uh, you know, he he's got came the crossover. In, yeah, I mean, he is a big deal. And for as much as you know, CM Punk is probably the best in the business right now. I think it's the best business decision to give it to Brock Lesnar to push Brock Lesnar to get Brock Lesnar in the main event for the world title on either one of the shows, doesn't matter. I think you need Brock Lesnar to be the top heel, the you know, the champion. I think that's the direction you have to go. So even if it does mean that CM Punk continues his losing streak, I would absolutely go that direction. Yeah, it's interesting that you say on on either uh, title scene, because I hadn't even thought about but he would make up an ideal guy to put the uh, World Heavyweight Championship on because clearly he's a heavyweight. Uh, Absolutely. And he's the kind of guy that could hold it for a long time and really bring some prestige back to it um, without having to be the poster boy for the company, which I don't think they'll ever really make him that. Right. Uh, that might be a really good way to use him to kind of prop up some sales and, and make that belt a little more meaningful than it has been. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's hard to disagree that he needs it more. And this all stems, you know, primarily from losing to Cena, I think, at, at Extreme Rules last year. It really didn't make any sense. It was his first match back. Cena was in the middle of a losing streak. You know, it's it made all the sense in the world for Brock Lesnar to go over him and then to tear through Triple H. Um uh, so at this point, you got to figure, okay, if Cena's not doing the job, then Punk has to. Right. And he's got to go over another big guy. Uh, <clears throat> and then that sets him up, you know, maybe to get the revenge on Cena. I don't know where they're going to go with that. But, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to argue against that. Uh, and I think I think part of it is that, you know, Cena or uh, Punk was so successful for so long holding the title. Uh, you know, that I think most people haven't even really realized he's on a losing streak yet. It hasn't gone on quite long enough to overshadow his 434-day championship reign. So he could survive a loss. Uh, but, it, you know, the thing is, like, is this going to be a one-off, you know, like he had with The Undertaker, another part-timer, and then he loses to two part-timers? Or are they going to, you think they'll have to stretch this out between these two guys? I could see CM Punk getting the belt back at Royal Rumble um, from Brock Lesnar, um, uh, but I uh, I don't think it's going to be one of those feuds where Lesnar wins at SummerSlam, then CM Punk comes back in September and wins, and then they have a rubber match at uh, Survivor Series. I don't think. I don't think that's the direction that they they'd be going. I think it would be something like you know Lesnar defeats him here, moves on, and quite honestly, that's that's the thing that bugs me most about this is that I don't know 
where CM Punk goes from here right. if and when he loses to Brock Lesnar. And that's the thing. It's like you need somewhere for CM Punk to go. He's the kind of guy that's going to be on your show every week. But you don't necessarily need anywhere for Brock Lesnar to go. We've right. already seen that he can disappear and come back at will. Um, so maybe that plays into their decision-making process. Maybe they think, F it, you know, we can have Lesnar lose, and uh, it's not really going to make a lick of difference. You know, we, yeah, can but, still, we can still bring him back in three months and have him take out somebody to win the title. Yeah, but, I mean, I guess first things first, we do both agree that Lesnar should have the title, right? At some yeah. point? Yeah. I don't know that I necessarily think that. So you wouldn't you wouldn't have him have a title reign somewhere between here and WrestleMania? Uh, I'm not saying that I wouldn't. I'm just saying I don't know that he needs it. I don't know that that's... Yeah, I, I, it sounds like what you're saying is bringing him back like this, it's almost required that he has to hold the belt at some point to make it worthwhile, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think, you know business sense. I mean, you're you're pouring a ton of money into this guy. I mean, maybe maybe his total money, you know, over the course of the year, or over the course of two years is not what John Cena's getting, but I think if you would break it down in a per appearance basis, I'm I'm sure that the money is pretty comparable. And I'm not saying that Brock Lesnar needs the title for any kind of legitimacy purposes, right? But I mean everyone is still gonna think he's a badass whether or not he has it. But I think, you know, I think the WWE is doing themselves a disservice if they don't give him a reign with the title. Well, yeah, I mean, fair enough. But what about the idea that he can draw on his own without the title? I mean, he, he's, this is, I don't know, at least, what, third time he's been part of, like, a double main event, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, he um, can, which, he can which does drive business, you know? Yeah, I mean, he can main event a pay-per-view even if he doesn't have a championship on him. But I think, you know, at some point you kind of run out of the marquee matches that Brock Lesnar can be in, right? I mean, are you going to really have him face John Cena without the title on the line? Because if you're talking about marquee matches, who do you have for Brock Lesnar? You have Cena, you have CM Punk, I guess you had Triple H, and... You know, clearly you have The Undertaker if, if they want to go that route for, you know, WrestleMania 30. But unless you go that route, I mean, who else, who else does Brock Well, I think, ultimately, I think ultimately if they want to play this storyline out with Daniel Bryan, that that would be a good pairing because um, you have the ultimate underdog against the ultimate monster, basically. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I guess I just don't see Daniel Bryan versus Brock Lesnar as being this huge marquee match that uh, is anywhere near the, the likes of Triple H versus Lesnar or CM Punk versus Lesnar. Right. Well, you can't see it today, but... Right. I mean, we're looking almost a year in advance here. I mean, I could see that being closer to WrestleMania. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's hard to disagree. You know, Lesnar has obviously been brought back for a reason. He's paid a lot of money. I just think that from a business perspective, they might just think we're getting, you know, we're being able to have two main events marketed at pay-per-views like this rather than one. Um, because if, if the situation were John Cena versus Brock Lesnar 
and then like Daniel Bryan and CM Punk uh, suddenly hate each other, you know, because they were both indie darlings, and like one turned their back on the other, as as the second quote unquote main event. It's not it's not moving the meter. I mean, it moves the meter for for guys like us, but not for the general public. And then you've you've put all your eggs in one basket with Cena and Lesnar in the same match, but keeping them separated like that, and the title, you know, only in one of them, one of their hands, then you got two main events. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying, but uh, the interesting point about what you're saying is that you're talking about a pay-per-view with only two main events, and there's two world titles in this company, right? And I think if you go back to WrestleMania, it was a huge letdown because you just had Jack Swagger versus Alberto Del Rio as one of the main event world title matches, right? But nobody cared about that. And so I'm saying, why not have Lesnar have the other title? Well, yeah, I, I said earlier that I, I I agree that that's an interesting twist, and I would I think having him have the other title would be a really good way to do it. Um, so I don't disagree with that. But yeah, I, I don't think the World Heavyweight Titles, or at least not since I've gotten back into it, has ever felt like a main event. Um, it's just another belt. You know, right. it's more important than the IC title. Yeah, but well, and, you know, yeah. I just despite everybody's wishes for it and how it has the history with the NWA and everything, you know, and and how much people think that Vince hates it because he didn't create it or whatever the reason is, you know, you can only have one ultimate belt in an American sport. You know, there's one championship. Right. Um. There's just no way it was ever going to be on equal billing with the WWE championship. Sure, but but when that supposed world title isn't even as big as you know, a non-title match. That's where, to me, you start getting into a into a fuzzy area. But what what about this? If Brock Lesnar, you know, regardless of what happens with CM Punk at uh, SummerSlam, does does Brock Lesnar look like a bitch if he goes after uh, the belt that's not being held by John Cena? Um. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know how they could work that out. Uh, because, yeah, the the precedent has been set that the top guys go out for the WWE title and guys trying to get to the top, you know, make a detour towards the World Heavyweight Championship first. Right. Uh, so it wouldn't make a whole lot of storyline sense for Brock Lesnar to go out to the World Heavyweight Championship. There would have to be somebody that already has it that he wants to go after. Yeah, um, I have no idea who that would be, but yeah, you're right. It it really wouldn't fit. Um, if he's this monster, if he's unstoppable, why would he not just go for the top prize? Right. Well, I guess, and this has never occurred to me prior to uh, prior to this, um, you know, prior to two minutes ago. But what happens if Daniel Bryan? Is a Paul Heyman guy. Uh, how would we find that out? What happens if at uh, SummerSlam, Paul Heyman helps Daniel Bryan get the championship? Then you have a scenario where Brock Lesnar could want a championship and would not want to take it away from Daniel Bryan, in which case he would be going after you know, Del Rio or Ziggler or 
whoever yeah. has it, right? Yeah, it's a good point. That that's one way to do it, um, to have the championship already in the stable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I mean, I would. I really hope they don't do that, <laughs> just because yeah. I think, you know, the kind of face heat that Brian has generated needs to be ridden for a little bit. Right. Because it's so hard to get that. Um, but you know, I, it certainly wouldn't shock me. They've they've been known to have some twists and turns lately. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's that's definitely one way to do it. Because you have to, if you're going to have him go after the world heavyweight, then there's got to be some reason he doesn't go after the WWE championship. Right. But uh, speaking of Daniel Bryan, I think we still have a lot more to talk about with him. Uh, so I think in the second half of the show, we'll spend most of it on Daniel Bryan. We'll also touch on Big E and Dolph Ziggler, uh, Damian Sandow and Cody Rhodes, and maybe some other... Mark Henry, primetime player, and stuff as we get to it. Uh, but we'll be right back. back. That is the man himself, Daniel Bryan's theme. The second uh, most theme of all time. His, yeah. His theme. <laughs> He's been known to have some good ones I hear. Yes. Yeah, we'll have to uh, maybe revisit that concept later in the show. I'll tell you though, when I first got back in uh, after taking a, a hiatus for several years from WWE, wasn't that familiar with Daniel Bryan and when he came out to it's the Ride of the Valkyries, I'm pretty sure it's called. Yeah. I was like, man, that is a great idea for a wrestler's theme. You know, and especially at a time when all these guys are using these terrible, you know, rock songs that I guess are like contracted bands by the WWE or something. They're just horrific. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, that, that really made me mark out when I first heard that. I was like, oh, this guy's uh, got something going here. Yeah, and and I'm okay with the fact that they uh, that they kind of remixed it and made it a rock version of it now. But yeah, I did, I did think it was really awesome. You know, when he first was doing that, it was the full-on uh, orchestrated um, version of it. But, yeah, <clears throat> but it's got some good energy, gets the crowd into the yeses. It works out really well with this gimmick now. Um, yeah. So we wanted to spend a good portion of the show talking about Mr. Daniel Bryan. Uh, been on a little winning streak here. They gave him a win over, or he tapped out Wade Barrett. Oh, yep, and and uh, yeah, I think I think we should spend a good portion of the the latter half of this show talking about him because you know WWE did that. You know they they spent uh, the majority of the last half of Raw talking about him or you know having him uh, out there you know wrestling you know the majority of the final hour. But, uh, you know, before we get into all that, you brought up the fact that he made Wade Barrett tap out um, yeah. on SmackDown. And uh, I, I've, I've seen a couple of things online where, where people uh, maybe weren't happy with that. And, uh, yeah. Nuh-uh. Yeah. There's guys online not happy. 
there are people not happy online hmm. that are in the wrestling community on the internet. Huh. Um, and it's not necessarily that Daniel Bryan made Wade Barrett tap out. It's more about the fact that they think Wade Barrett is kind of going down the tubes, that uh, he's on his way out, that he's fallen from grace, that he's in the doghouse, you know, however you want to say it. Do you, uh, do you have any kind of inkling about, about that with Wade Barrett right now? Uh, well, clearly he's not getting any attention, but I think, I think there's two problems that were kind of out of his control for his uh, potential push, whether he was going to get one. Um, I guess, was it like right after Royal Rumble or something last year? I can't remember what time it was. And by last year, I mean 2012. Right. Uh, when he broke his elbow. I don't know when that was. That was that was before WrestleMania, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I can't I can't remember the specifics. But yeah, I mean, injuries yeah. have certainly been uh, a problem for him. It seemed like he was slated. You know what? I think it was before Money in the Bank. Yeah, and I think there were or maybe Elimination Chamber, and people were speculating that he was one of the favorites to win, and then he couldn't compete. Um, <clears throat> you know, so that has the potential to derail a guy. You know, I mean, that could have happened to Sandow. What if he snaps his knee right before Money in the Bank, and then all of a sudden his character set back from the the trajectory they had for him? And then when he finally came back with the Barrett Barrage thing, which I thought was pretty cool, um, you know, he has this, they pull up the NXT guy, Bo Dallas, that turns out everybody hates. Would, for whatever reason, WWE <laughs> loves him. And I guess technically he's the brother of Fred Wyatt, so, you know, that whole family they have a good relationship with, I guess. Right. But the fans seem to hate him. And yes. so, you know, Wade Barrett got stuck with this feud that with a guy that was going nowhere. And then, and then that was it. That seems to be the only feud that they gave him. Um... So I don't know whether it's entirely his fault, you know, that two times when they were going to focus on him, potentially, it got derailed by something out of his control. Yeah, and it's, it seems like at, at least at one point uh, he got he got derailed on something because Randy Orton got injured or had a wellness violation or something. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I think the cards just haven't haven't uh, fallen for uh, Wade Barrett just yet. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think, sure, there's a lot of people that, you know, want to see something happen with him right now, but, I mean, those are the same people that want something to happen for Cesaro right now, right. who want something to happen for Daniel Bryan right now, who want something to happen for CM Punk right now, you know, yeah. and, you know, there's only there's only so much room, and, you know, honestly, I would much rather see Wade Barrett with the heavyweight championship as a heel than I would... Um, Alberto Del Rio, you know, I would much rather have seen Wade Barrett have won the Money in the Bank briefcase, but, you know, just because he didn't, just because he's not the guy, just because he doesn't have a title, just because he doesn't have a suitcase, I don't, you know, I'm tired of everyone saying, oh my gosh, you know, like he's, he's going to be going, you know, he'll be in TNA in six months, he'll be in TNA in a year, you know. I mean, he's a super talented guy. They invest in him, but that doesn't mean that he needs to be the champion before Survivor Series, or he may as well ask for his way out of his contract. I mean, did you have any problem with him losing to Rob Van Dam? No. 
I mean, I, I keep hearing people say, well, Rob Van Dam is 42 years old. You know, Rob Van Dam, you know, he's going to be gone in less than a year. He'll probably be gone in less than a year because of a wellness violation or, you know, just smoking pot. You know, he's clearly not the 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 future of the WWE, so why would you have him beat Wade Barrett? These people don't sound very cynical at all. Right. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, I th just think it goes back to there's only so many slots to go around. You know, certain guys, you know, they're just in the right place at the right time. Daniel Bryan stayed healthy. He's in the right place at the right time. Um, <clears throat> got himself over. Frankly, Wade Barrett hasn't done that much to get himself over. Right. I mean, going boom when you walk out, I mean, okay. But, like, he doesn't do that much in his matches to really, you know, get the fans that aren't us into him, you know? Right. I, personally, I think that's part of the problem with Cesaro, too. I mean, I think he's gotten better at it, at getting the fans engaged, but initially he looked like a guy that was just kind of in his own world in the ring and wasn't really playing to the audience at all. Yeah, um, and I'll say this. Cesaro, um, I've heard that he's legit one of the strongest guys in WWE, and I've heard that um, Mark Henry was actually on a radio show that uh, that I pay attention to out of New York. Uh, a guy named Peter Rosenberg. If you're not yeah. if you're not aware of Peter Rosenberg, you know anybody that's listening, um, you really should be because he he's uh, he's a pretty big name in New York, and uh, he gets to interview all the wrestlers. And you know, the interview with Mark Henry was like an hour long. Yeah, I think like wrestling with Rosenberg on YouTube, you should find it all. Yeah. And so anyway, um, Mark Henry, you know, legit said Cesaro is probably one of the strongest guys in WWE. He's pretty sure Cesaro could lift him up. You know, he said, hey, he had no problem with Big Show, so he would probably have no problem with him. But I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't see Cesaro getting a, uh, a reign with the world championship, you know, either one of them that lasts more than two months and honestly, I, I don't I don't see him getting there, you know, in the next year. But uh, he's another one that the internet loves. And uh, yeah, he's a great wrestler. I've seen him live. You know, I've I've yelled hey with with all the other Ring of Honor fans when uh, when he came out to uh, Peter Gabriel. But uh, I I just I don't see him getting there. Yeah, and that's certainly a whole other topic in itself. And I'm inclined to. To agree, for the most part, I, I don't think he's going to reach the heights that people want him to, but I do think he'll get a shot at some point, and it's it goes back to the Barrett situation, you know, where it's just there's got to be the right timing for a guy to, to get one of those slots. And, you know, real quick before we get right back to Daniel Bryan, uh, just another thought I had about that was, uh, you know, back in the day, and this is not quite at the same level because all these guys are Hall of Famers, but, you know, you had that situation with uh, the click, and it kind of took away Triple H's push, I guess, in like 96 or whatever, where yeah. it looked like, you know, he might be the next guy. Uh, they get in trouble. You know, he kind of gets pushed back down. He doesn't win the King of the Ring. Steve Austin wins instead. And without something like that, out of Austin's control, he might not have become what he became, you know? Yeah. He doesn't win that King of the Ring, doesn't cut that promo, and then, you know, eventually gets his neck effed up by Owen Hart, you know, he might not have ever had any role. Um, you know, because sure. if he still gets that neck injury but didn't have the push prior to it, then what are they going to do with a gimp that can't wrestle, you know? Right. So, 
you know, that wasn't in his control, and Triple H botched it, and, you know, so that slot went to Steve Austin, and then even The Rock got ahead of Triple H in the pecking order. Um, <clears throat> so, I don't know. I, I just think things like that, it's just sometimes it's out of guy's control. I, I don't think it's that the company hates Wade Barrett. It's just it hasn't been Wade Barrett's time. So. Okay, yeah. I was I was trying to make sure that we were on the same wavelength on that and that... Uh, yeah. No, it's, it's an interesting topic because I, I think that, you know, Wade Barrett just kind of represents a lot of guys. You know, he, he might be the one that people are talking about the most right now because he just lost RVD or whatever. But yeah. he represents a lot of guys that you see and you think this is a main eventer and he doesn't get there. And that's because only certain ones can. You know, there's just there's timing and there's only a few slots there. Right. At some point, we should talk about uh, Rob Van Dam and whether he should be in the main event and uh, how soon and, you know, if ever and what would you do about that. But uh, we, yeah. got, we got more important things to talk about uh, here. So Damn straight. I won't, I won't, uh, I won't dive, you know, delve us down that path. Yeah. Well, the the man himself who is getting his own chance at one of those coveted main event slots is Mr. Daniel Bryan. Um, <clears throat> in order to prove himself, he gets sent into a gauntlet match, um, which I'm sure majority of our potential listeners were very pleased to hear. Um, <clears throat> he has to face the real Americans first off, Jack Swagger. Um, and, you know, I was thinking, you know, and then after Jack Swagger, he faces uh, Antonio Cesaro. And I was thinking, you know, especially during the Cesaro match, which was appreciably longer. Yeah. Um, the Swagger match was probably five minutes. Yeah, uh, that. That it just shows you the difference, and I'm sure I'll appeal to some of the fans that hate me right now after what I just said. It shows you the difference between the training in the WWE and the training they got in Ring of Honor in, these, in Japan or wherever else they were, uh, that the Swagger match was just vanilla. I mean, there's a couple good moves here and there. It's over in five minutes. You know, nothing that wows you. Right. And then you put <clears throat> Cesaro and and, and uh, Daniel Bryan together, and they're just like, they're in a war. I mean, yeah. like, you know, the announcers don't even know what to say about it. They're just doing stuff that nobody else is doing. Um, I have a feeling they probably called several spots as they went along. Uh, you know, and, and you just, and you really got the feeling that this was probably the best match Cesaro's had since he got to the WWE, and it's it's primarily because he got to face a guy that was his style. Yep. Yeah, and I, I think that's why so many people are just, you know, drooling over the idea that uh, Daniel Bryan and CM Punk are going to face off in a big spot somewhere because, uh, you know, they're, they're going to pull off some crazy stuff when it does happen. And it is because, you know, these guys are so familiar with, with each other from Ring of Honor and Dragon's Gate and, you know, CZW and, you know, all these other places that uh, that they've wrestled, you know, around the world. I, I don't know if they were ever in New Japan at the same time or in Japan. I guess not everybody goes to New Japan. But really, everywhere except for the WWE, this is kind of what wrestling is more about, is yeah. having these, these exotic movesets um, and kind of, you know, having crazy reversals and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, so to me, I, I think it was such a, it was such a clear difference between watching Jack Swagger take on Daniel Bryan and watching Antonio Cesaro. I mean, it was just, it was incredible. I, that was almost like a bigger story to me than anything else. Yeah. And, and that's, 
that's honestly part of the reason why uh, I'm watching TNA wrestling more and more is because uh, you know they do a lot of matches like that. They on last week's show they had uh, a few matches that were just incredible, but uh, yeah, you know, we, we we won't go too far into that. But yeah, the uh, the match between Cesaro and uh, Daniel Bryan was great, and uh, you know it kind of made me wonder, um, you know what. Uh, what got off fanboys more, right? Um, was it the Cesaro Bryan match or was it uh, the Bella Nip slip, right? <laughs> no. Yeah, that was uh, that was making the rounds immediately. Yeah, and that's one of the <clears throat> it's one of the tragedies, along with another one I'll mention uh, of not being able to watch in HD uh, for myself because I I just watch on a stream. Right. Um, there was no way I would have seen that live. Yeah. And also, you know, as I watch replays, sometimes I'm like. Man, Summer Rae is much more attractive than I can tell on these streams I'm watching. Yes. But uh, yes, she is. But yeah, that nip slip was uh, pretty entertaining. And you know, not to go down this road too long, but I kind of feel like it was intentional. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that that just sells the show. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. These and girls uh, are out there all the time. And it just sits out there for five minutes, and no, no producer notices. Right. I mean, come on. They know how to tape those things up, and she let it out on purpose. Yeah. Oh, and you know, it just happens to coincide with uh, the final RAW before the uh, the Total Divas or whatever it is that's oh, going to yeah. be on the E Network this Sunday at ten o'clock. Because I, I mean, they're trying to. DVR. They're trying to be the Kardashians, and that's how Kim made her name, right, with a sex tape. Yep. And so, uh, titillate with something, some, some something viral on the internet like that, and people will tune in. Yeah, it's funny you uh, mentioned the Kardashians because uh, I believe from 9.30 to 10, it's the Kardashians. From yeah. 10 to 10.30, it's WWE Total Divas. And then from 10.30 to 11, it's the Kardashians again. All right, sandwich right in there. Yep. And I, yeah. I only know that because I set my DVR today and I was like, wow. Right. Sandwich it right in there. Well, you let me know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> I... Uh, I want to watch that uh, the the one that smacked Jerry Lawler. I want to I want to watch her dye her hair. Right, right. It's supposed oh, yeah. to be blonde. Uh, so yeah. let's let's get back to the real real issues here with uh, Daniel Bryan. The you know what I mean, and everybody's uh, probably talking about. At least I would assume the highlight of the match was the uh, 500 uppercuts in a row. Oh my gosh. That Brian took, and you felt like he was probably just going to topple over. Uh, but the greatest part of that, I thought, was immediately afterward, he gets sent into the rope and comes back, and Cesaro gives him a clothesline. Yes. And he doesn't just take it, he flips. <laughs> yes, he flipped out. He flipped through that thing. Uh, yeah. No, I thought that was great. It's like, how, how do you follow up, you know, drilling a guy in the, uh, in the throat like that, you know, 100 times? Yeah. And uh, oh, okay, yeah, you you clothesline him right there, and he, uh, he flips out. And but that just shows yeah. you, you know, that the level that Brian himself is willing to go to kind yeah. of wow the crowd and sell tickets. You know, he's not going to just take the clothesline. He's going to like, he's going to do a tilt the whirl on it. Yep. And you know? and I I do feel like there have been some probably some changes backstage. I mean, I, obviously Triple H is taking over more responsibility, and you know, there's been an increase in tag team wrestling and whatever, but I also feel like something is happening backstage where they're trying to get guys more interested in doing um, the psychological wrestling, you know, the, the 
you know, attack a body part, attack a body part, attack a body part. Yep. Um, I don't know if you remember from earlier in the show, but, um, you know, Del Rio was just going after Seamus's leg. That's right. I mean, that was... And you really kind of felt like, man, Seamus, you know, he... he He's probably not going to win this match because he's not going to be able to hit that brogue kick, you know. And yeah. I just feel like, you know, there's more of a, an emphasis now on, you know, targeting things, not just you know doing five or eight moves and and trying to get the pinfall, right? right. Yeah, I agree. And uh, <clears throat> they've even had Ryback working on that. You know, he's been getting his leg taken out constantly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, and I think also kind of just the interaction with the crowd seems to have increased a bit. Um, yeah. You get guys yelling at the crowd a little more often, yelling at the, at the wrestler to incite the crowd. Um, <clears throat> and then just kind of the mannerisms, you know, of guys like Bray Wyatt and, all, and Damian Sandow, you know, they're, and even Dean Ambrose, you know, they're clearly been trained to, uh, be more than just a guy. You know, they've been trained to have a personality to to really sell the drama and all that. Right. Yeah. yeah so that's I, that's a good move. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think that's only going to continue because you do have a lot of that sort of thing with guys that were in Ring of Honor. I mean, there I've heard people talk about uh, a guy named Davey Richards probably coming up and uh, joining WWE. I mean, he's a he's a fairly big name for people that are you know really big into Ring of Honor. And uh, he wasn't included in this 16-man tournament for the uh, for their world title that that they've they have vacant there, and uh, so they're saying that's a pretty good sign that he's coming up. And uh, you know, I I've seen him do a lot of stuff where he interacts pretty well with the crowd. And there was there was one time I kid you not, it was like a six-man tag match, and uh, the guy got thrown out of the ring down near him. He reached into his own pants. Davey Richards did kind of, like, you know, had his hand in his pants and then smacked the guy with it. So it's not like spitting in your hand. It's like taking it to the next level. You know? Right. Like, like, yeah, I don't want somebody spitting on their hand and then smacking hopefully there's, it. Hopefully there's nothing communicable down there, right? Right, right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's little things, you know, um, like uh, little nuances like that where, where guys, you know, they take it they take it to a different level and... and I think we're going to see more more like that. Um, yeah, uh, in along the same lines, I really enjoyed Fandango during his match with Rhodes. Um, obviously, the doing the dance moves immediately after he hits a move is is hilarious. Yeah, but, uh, and he's good at it. But then when Rhodes had him up on the ropes, you know, and had his legs kind of, you know, Fandango's arms were on the turnbuckle, and then Rhodes had his legs in the air. And Fandango was like, no, no, you know, just like really freaking out about it. Yeah. Um, I feel like so many times you see that move half-assed where a guy just sits there and takes it. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, so there's, it's like... There's, there's obviously an emphasis on, on putting more into it. Yeah, it's like um, when CM Punk takes somebody up for the uh, go-to-sleep. You know, for a while there, the guy was just staying there until he got thrown off into the Punk's knee. Yeah. But... Uh, now you'll see more instances where somebody at least tries to elbow him in the face and, you know, try to get out of it. Sure. Right. Uh, so I, I think I think it's all all kind of the same. 
Yeah, yeah, and clearly, hopefully, this means good things for the future. Uh, and you know, that brings us to I think kind of the ultimate question that we're going to have to toss around probably in the next several episodes as well is Daniel Bryan the future. Um, I think we saw a really interesting backstage interaction with, uh, or at least it was interesting to me, because I think, and I've been harping on this as you and I have talked about, you know, off air, um, the Triple H, Vince McMahon dynamic. Uh, I think there's something's going on with this that might culminate at WrestleMania. Um, <clears throat> Triple H is backstage with Brad Maddox, and he's like, Oh, and you think he's too small, and, and you think uh, he's not uh, strong enough, and all this. And in sending, I think he even called out the old man or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he, you know, specifically says that he thinks Daniel Bryan's the future. And then he does this whole thing where he's like, "There's two trains. One's the future," and puts the hand on his own chest, and then the other is a dead end. Um, you know, and then Stephanie walks in and all this. So, I mean, obviously, we're kind of setting up for an angle where Triple H is behind Daniel Bryan, uh, or at least right now he's saying he is. Um, not that he's, like, controlling Daniel Bryan, but that he's supporting Right, right. Um, <clears throat> and then Vince McMahon, late at the end of the show, uh, he's not satisfied with hearing that John Cena is going to be in a tables match with Ryback. He's like, what about Daniel Bryan? Uh, you know, doesn't he have to to compete, or I can't remember what word he used. Um, and then he basically forces Maddox to say he's going to fight Kane next week, which is a long time in coming. I didn't know yeah. that we are ever going to see that match. But, uh, you know, and so I think that goes further toward McMahon trying to undermine Brian a little bit. He's going to put him in this difficult position where he can't, you know, that he's supposedly still good friends with Kane, you know, so you can't just, like, look at him as another opponent. Um, right. Is he going to slip up? You know, is something going to happen that causes him not to get out of this match? And then possibly we have a secondary storyline, or, or we continue the storyline with saying that Vince doesn't think he deserves the title shot. Right. You know, I kind of wonder if they're going to go in that direction, at least on this pay-per-view build. I think he still has to have the title shot, obviously, because they're already selling it. Yeah. But, but so that but that gives you, I think, an overview of maybe this ongoing struggle that we're going to see. And I think any time you talk about um, is the company going to change directions? You know, is Triple H going to usurp Vince McMahon? Um, things like that. Those power struggles have to come with changes in the guys that are wrestling for the company. You know, the guys that are really getting the pushes. I think they kind of go hand in hand. I mean, if you just say Triple H is in charge and then John Cena wins every match, nothing's changed. Right. So part of switching the leadership structure, would, I would think, would have to be hand in hand with saying a guy like Daniel Bryan can be our future or he can be at least in the next couple of years a guy that's headlining pay-per-views. Uh, where, where do you see them going with this? Do you think they might actually pull the trigger on Bryan and, and make him that kind of guy? I think Daniel Bryan could very well be a regular main eventer um, in in the coming years. Um, I don't I don't know that he's ever going to get to the point where he is the Bret Hart 
or the Shawn Michaels of the company. Um, I think there's always going to be a guy who they feel like is more charismatic, who is more mainstream, who is potentially not as good in the ring, but is maybe a better ambassador for them, or they just see as being, you know, more popular and can sell more merchandise. Um, I mean, I, I think everyone would pretty much agree that uh, John Cena is not half the wrestler that Daniel Bryan is, and yet I don't think Daniel Bryan is anywhere near the poster boy that John Cena is. Sure. Yeah, and and that's there's a lot to be said for that because there's more than just being in the ring. There's the doing the press and all that. Um, being the guy that when you think of WWE, who do you think of right now? That's obviously John Cena. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think you know. I to me, I, I feel like there's you know there's there's a few different characteristics, right? There's there's obviously the ability to put on a good match, and I'm not saying wrestling ability because I don't. This, you know, despite what everybody wants, it's not a wrestling company. It's an entertainment company. Um, so they got to be able to put on a compelling match, whether that's putting on technical moves like Brian does and, and manages to make those technical moves interesting. Because I've seen other guys that do technical moves and they're not that interesting. Right. Um, so he puts on compelling matches. Um I think he's got the merchandise thing under control. I'm pretty sure that Respect the Beard shirt's going to be selling a lot, and he already sold a lot with Yes, Yes, Yes and all that. True. Um, <clears throat> the, it, he's had good promos when they give him a chance to have them. Uh, they didn't give him a chance this week, um, but then again, he also wrestled a ton, so, I mean, it's not like he had a bad show. Yeah, um, and, and, and he was decent in the, uh, in the backstage promo with uh, John Cena. He just didn't have a promo where he addressed the crowd. Yeah, because Maddox cut him off at the contract signing, so he never really got a chance to speak. Right. Um, but I, you know, and I think, uh, you know, there's those, and he's got the look. I, I think his look works. I know people want to say that the beard and the scraggly look is bad, and I'm sure there's something to be said for that. Um, but I think for him and being his short and stature and all that, uh, he needs something like that. Um, if he was just clean cut, he'd look like a high school kid. Um, so, I mean, whether it ends up working or not is another story, but I think if he's going to be successful, I think this look is part of the reason he's been taking off. Um, yeah, and I, and I could see that, but I, I guess what I'm saying is I think Daniel Bryan, five years from now, will have the same level of success that Sheamus has. I mean, I don't think anyone would say that Sheamus isn't built like a superstar, um, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to say that Sheamus is, you know, as qualified to be a poster boy for WWE as even Dolph Ziggler. I mean, I think Dolph Ziggler is, is way more qualified, or, you know, in terms of his look and his attitude and his, you know, mic abilities. Um, I mean, I, I feel like Dolph Ziggler and even Alberto Del Rio, to some extent, are probably more qualified than Sheamus, more qualified than Daniel Bryan. And well, good. I'm not saying that I want to see those guys as being the top guy, and I'm not saying there just has to be one top guy, but I think, to me, 
there's a difference between Daniel Bryan and CM Punk in terms of being the top guy and feeling like the top guy. Well, what's the difference? I mean, what can you boil it down between Punk and Bryan? I don't know. Um, I, I just I feel like, and 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 let me let me preface this by saying, right now I have probably four wrestling-related T-shirts. Okay, two of my wrestling-related T-shirts are Bret Hart shirts. Two of my wrestling-related T-shirts are Daniel Bryan T-shirts, and they're not Daniel Bryan T-shirts. They're you know Bryan Danielson T-shirts. But either yep. way. I mean, those are those are you know two of my guys. I, I don't buy T-shirts lately. Um, I just I feel like CM Punk just has something extra. It's 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 an intangible. Maybe I don't know. He just he seems more three-dimensional than than Daniel Bryan. When when he's funny, he's funnier in like a regular guy type of way. When Daniel Bryan is being funny, he's funny in kind of a nerdy type of way. Right, I mean, CM Punk is the cult of personality. Daniel Bryan is, you know, the final countdown. You know, he's like, I don't know, he's just... Yeah. And, well, I mean, for me, it's... I'm kind of, I'm not really... I see what you're saying, but I, I definitely don't track with it. Because um, I, think, I think ultimately what gets a guy to that level is connecting with the audience, um, being someone that you don't turn away from when they're in the ring. Uh, I turn away from Alberto Del Rio matches constantly. Yeah. Um, because I know I'm not going to miss anything. I turn away from Sheamus matches constantly because I know I'm not going to miss anything. He sells merch because he's big, you know, whatever. He's got a, he's got this uh, cool move that he does with his arms, you know, kids like that. Right. They've been force-fed Sheamus but he's not legitimately connecting with the crowd. Um, and that's another reason I never really bought into Randy Orton is I just I don't see a connection there. Um, and I could go on and list a million guys that I, I'm a hater of, I guess you would say. Right. But I think Daniel Bryan is a rare guy that you don't turn away from the screen when he's on. And, you know, I think that trumps everything else because everything else can be fixed. You know, if we, if we don't like the way his beard is, it can be trimmed. Um, if his promos backstage are a little lacking, it can be worked on. You know, certain guys like The Rock, you hear the... I mean, people aren't going to believe it, but if you go watch The Rock's first several promos, they're not good. Not good at all. And granted, he was pretty much a rookie at that time. But it just shows you a guy that's universally considered the greatest of all time as a promo artist... Even he sucked at one point. Right. Um, and Dan Ryan doesn't suck at all. He could actually pass very well, and I think he has a chance to be better. But the thing that is hard to find, and I, I would think WWE execs would somewhat agree with me on this, is a guy that gets people to keep watching. You know, that that they're not going to turn the TV off, or, you know, they're they're not going to get up to go to the bathroom during the match. You know, this is the guy that they're, they're not going to take their eyes off of. And I think he's got that going for him. That's the intangible, I think. Uh, you really have to have to be the top guy in a company like this. Yeah, I mean, I think he has the tools. It just He just doesn't feel like the type of guy 
that the WWE typically wants to invest in. And to a certain extent, he doesn't have the same feel that Bret Hart had, that Shawn Michaels had. And I just, you know, and, you know, that's... that's yeah, that's and we're, we're coming from different perspectives. Um, we probably should intro ourselves a little more at some point, but you've been a much more long-term, never-took-a-break type fan. Um, check out different federations and all that. Uh, I'm a little more of kind of just mostly WWE. Uh, took some breaks. To be honest, I, I definitely think Shawn Michaels, the showstopper and all that, he is probably the ultimate. Uh, I never really got to that level with Bret Hart. I respect him a lot. but And, and I feel he deserved the championships he got. But he never was a guy in my brain that kept me watching. And to be honest, I'm not alone. I mean, the product suffered for a while when he was on top. <clears throat> I stopped watching in 93, 94-ish. Uh, I tuned in every once in a while up until like 95. And that was really Bret Hart's heyday, uh, at least as far as being a champion. Yeah, right. he, he wasn't really carrying the company very well. Um, I, I think the numbers would prove that. Uh, and a guy like me that legitimately likes wrestling stopped watching. Um, yeah. I mean, I loved Macho Man and Ultimate Warrior and guys like that really kept me on my seat, but I kind of just stopped watching right after. And especially, and then Hogan getting the belt, you know, in WrestleMania 12 was pretty stupid, or whatever WrestleMania that was. Nine, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> things like that, you know, so... To me, I don't put Bret Hart even on Shawn Michaels' level. I know that's probably blasphemy to a lot of people. I think Shawn Michaels was much more compelling. Um, and I think that's why a guy like Steve Austin ended up getting to where he got. He just didn't want to stop watching when that guy was on the screen. Um, and I think that's... Uh, Brian's not in that company yet, but I think he can get there. I think right now he's the one guy that if you're going to watch any part of the show each week, you've got to watch what Dana Bryan did. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I can see what you're saying, but I just I don't put him in the same uh, in the same category as CM Punk. I don't put him in the same category as Dolph Ziggler. Um, it's probably a little unfair to say Alberto Del Rio, but uh, I mean that's kind of yeah. You know, I, I I put him above Alberto <coughs> Del Rio, but uh, and I, I mean don't get me wrong, I would I would watch him wrestle. You know, twice a night, I would watch him. You know, in on get a title shot on every pay per view. Um, I'm glad that he's near the main event scene and not in the tag title scene anymore. You know, I love tag team wrestling, but uh, I I just I don't envision it being something where he is the top guy and is main eventing more pay per views in a year than he is. You know, out of title matches. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll see where it goes. Um, this is certainly a discussion we're going to continue because uh, I think we're going to have a little bit of dead time here until SummerSlam. I guess we're recording several episodes this week, uh, one Raw and two SmackDowns. So uh, hopefully we can avoid spoilers. At least I would like to avoid spoilers. But you know, I, I'm going to avoid spoilers. So if you know anybody that's uh, tuning in next week, uh, we, it's not not like we're going to be. Uh, yeah. You know, head of the curve on that. So. Yeah. Well, there will only be one SmackDown at that point, not, not okay. uh, seen anyway. So, 
But, uh, yeah, so we'll get back into that conversation again. Uh, I think we should mention, you know, if people want to comment at the bottom of the article on guysnation.com or uh, we now have Facebook, Guys Nation Wrestling. Should yep. be, is that how they find it? Yep. Yeah, uh, so hopefully, you know, feedback would be great. Um, and uh, we'll go out to, as the tune that we already hear playing, the final countdown. Which uh, Mr. Brian Danielson used in uh, Ring of Honor, right? Yep. And uh, I think that's it for this week. Uh, we didn't get to primetime players and Dolph Ziggler and Big E. I, th- I have a feeling we're going to see a lot of uh, progression with uh, Ziggler and Big E uh, this week. I think they probably are going to shift to that storyline a little bit, so hopefully next week we'll have a lot more to talk about with that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about that next week and Sandow. Cody Rhodes and uh, yes. uh, prime time players. You know they want to make a splash in the singles competition. All right, see you next week.